Hello and welcome to Meet the Founder, a new series within But Why podcast. My name is Clemmie Telford and before I began out on social media, my career was in advertising as an agency creative director and later as a creative strategist at Facebook and Instagram. I have a fascination with brands, how and why they exist and the stories of the people behind them. Meet the Founder is my opportunity to marry my love of honest conversations about tricky subjects with my curiosity about brands. It's business chat, but a bit nosier. There was no one approaching tea in a fun way with like different flavors. It's super versatile and and it, and it was, coffee had had its time and it, well, it's still having its time, but tea's way more versatile. And I thought, well, do you know what? Is that, why isn't there anyone that's doing tea in a, in a way that puts flavor first? Today, I'm talking to Chrissy Smith, co-founder and creative director of the award-winning independent tea company, Bird and Blend. Hello. Hello, thanks for having me. Very, very glad to have you here and actually really looking forward to getting quite geeky about tea. I've actually been slagging <laughs> off the coffee that I've got. Sometimes we, we admit that we just have to have caffeine in a way that you can just get, get it into your body. But more often than not, it's much nicer to have something that you truly enjoy. So give me the elevator pitch for Bird and Blend, why it exists and how it started. So we are the UK's expert tea mixologists, which basically means we create like weird and wonderful blends of tea. We use ingredients from all over the world um, and I still create all of the blend recipes. So we have, you know, more of your bog standard flavours like uh, Great British Copper and Earl Grey Creme, but then we have weird and wonderful like cream egg and spiced pumpkin pie and, you know, really go to town with it. Um, we started the business 10 years ago. It's got a really like typical back bedroom startup style story. Um, and we now have 14 stores across the UK, high street stores and a thriving website that ships tea all over the world. And how many flows of tea do you have? Uh, so we have a hundred on the tea wall, which is our sort of interactive wall of tea, which is a bit like a pick and pick and mix sweet shop. You can come in and um, we weigh out different teas for you. So there's a hundred on the wall of all different types and flavors. Um, but in the back catalog, I think there's nearly 400 flavors now that we've created over the years. Yeah. Wow, it's, it's kind of quite mind boggling. Yeah, who knew? <laughs> I, I guess it's a case that you can just infinitely create them can you yeah i mean I, I will admit that we've now had nine christmases and we always do a limited edition christmas range and i think i've gone through all of the types like namely christmas flavor that you associate with christmas and we've done it so i'm running out of ideas so if you have any ideas please <laughs> well there's, there's a flavor that i'm yet to try although i've been off mic very very obvious about the fact that i would like to try some of this but you've got one called chocolate digestive mm -hmm or you mentioned mini eggs, how do you go about transporting that flavor into a cup of tea? Or is that the magic of it? Yeah, that's the magic of it. But um, the chocolate digestives is actually a really um, good like Sri Lankan black tea. So that's one of the teas that's usually in a breakfast tea. So it's kind of a breakfast tea, but you've got, um, don't freak out because it sounds scary, but it's got licorice root in there, which makes it slightly sweet um, and cocoa shells and vanilla. So it tastes like you've, I think it tastes like you've dropped your chocolate biscuit in your cup of tea. I don't know if that sounds appetizing, no. but it's a really good seller, and um, it's just a bit of a twist on a, on a on a classic breakfast, really. Yeah. How does it begin? Have you always liked drinking tea? Or um, yeah, I think the thing that's different about um, 
my sort of founder story is that most food and drink businesses have started from either a passion for the for the product um or the business wants to be like a grocery business that's that's what a lot of our competitors and a lot of our you know the brands that we love in food and drink have done i did like did like tea but i had no qualifications in tea or um or business <laughs> at that time if i'm perfectly honest um and it wasn't that i fell in love with tea it was that i was looking for a business idea that would enable me to build a business that i kind of envisioned that would put uh, people first and do things in a better way and tea happened to be the sort of vehicle i guess that we we went with and from the very beginning the the plan was always to have retail spaces um so i say like human faces and re- and physical spaces was we wanted to put that experience at the heart of everything um so i knew what type of business i wanted to build and and tea kind of came afterwards i am now obviously an expert um and you know written a book about tea and and, and been a judge and all sorts of things in, in the world of tea but i knew nothing i had to teach all of it myself yeah at the beginning I often wonder with these things. In fact, with most major like life milestones, I think it sometimes pays to be a bit naive at the beginning. Absolutely. I look back now and I think if I'd have known <laughs> what I know now, I don't think I would have like started. You know, I went into, I can remember, I like sketched this business idea literally on like the back of a napkin in a pub um, with my uh, business partner, Mike, and uh, drew this little sketch of a bird and was like, oh, I've got this idea. And then did, did some Googling and looked on YouTube for a bit. And then went and found a, a tea blender that, that did recipes for, for much bigger companies. And I can remember I went and, and met with um, this, this, this guy who's, who owns this big tea blending company and, um, and said, I wanna create these teas. Um, I've got this idea for this tea called Mahiti. So I'm thinking like lemongrass and lime, like big slices of lime and green tea. And he, I was a 24 year old woman and he just looked at me like, oh, oh no, what, what are you doing? And he said, you know, tea is about every cup should taste the, te- the same. It's gotta be carefully measured. You know, it's a hundred year old industry with heritage and, you know, single estate origin and all of that. He's like, you can't put lime slices in tea. <laughs> I, was like, I kind of thought, well, okay, well, watch me. <laughs> So yeah, um, and and now actually we still work with him, and he, you know he's an absolutely brilliant um, partner. But yeah, at the start it it was uh, it was definitely naivety and, and stubbornness. I think. Do you feel like you then had to learn some of the heritage stuff and some of that, you know, the history of tea, or, or do you think it's actually paid that you've come in as kind of a, a renegade person in that place? Yeah, I think so because the plan was always to go after the fun and the flavour. Um, so tea in the UK is is either very, well, I think is either very sort of almost uh, regal, royal, you know, afternoon teas with your china cups or, you know, in the tea rooms, very chintzy. Or um, back then, 10 years ago, it was um, like healthy tea. So you'd have to go to Holland and Barrett or wherever to get like, you know, lemon tea or something. There was no one approaching tea in a fun way with like different flavours. It's super versatile and, and, it, and it was coffee had had its time and it, well, it's still having its time but tea's way more versatile and I thought well do you know what is that why isn't there anyone that's doing tea in a in a way that puts flavor first so although all of our teas are really ethically sourced and they are a lot of them have health benefits and we've never gone out with that as is like it's got to have a fun 
name. It's got to look great, taste great, smell great, you know, big chunks of chocolate and different things in it. Um, so that kind of fit my personality and, and, the, and the brands, you know, I didn't know at the time, but I was building, you know, I guess a unique proposition um, that, that cut through the market but I, I wasn't intentional. I didn't know all of that jargon back then. It was an accident. You're just yeah. being you. Yeah, I was just being me and it, it paid off, yeah. So reading about your bio and also because one of the producers just came in and, and gave me the heads up, two things. Number one, from what I read, you had a fair few failed businesses on the way to that. And number two, I think this is founded with your ex-husband. Is that yes. So could you talk to me about both those things and how they've translated in business? Yeah, I think what happened for me as a as a young adult was I worked so many jobs. Um, I worked all through school and university. I wanted, I was desperate to go traveling. I just wanted to save some money and get, get out of there. And I worked, I think about 37 jobs before I was 20. You know, anything from like debt call center, collect, like debt collector. I worked in a bank. I was a shot girl. I did, I worked with horses. I did literally every, any job give it to me, I, I was gonna do it. And I kept getting myself fired. And someone once said to me, oh, so you're, you know, you're you're not employable. And I was like, well, actually, I, I'm pretty employable. I'm just not, I'm not retainable. <laughs> I get sacked all the time. And I kept getting fired because I, I was a young person and I was at entry level jobs, but I kept asking like, why? Why are we doing this? Can we do it a different way? And I think I was met with so much resistance and, and almost, I guess, people were quite threatened, I think, that I thought, do you know what, this is really, this isn't very empowering. And I think that you could build something, a business that that fosters that environment. Um, so that was the the kind of the dream. And, I, and Mike and I, my um, ex-husband and business partner, um, we tried a few things to start with um, that didn't quite work out. Um, we didn't get much down the line with them. Um, we tried to build a, what is now, I think exist, which was kind of, we called it unique graduate, which was the idea was it was a, a website where you could go and look for for experiences and jobs that weren't in the, you know, the corporate landscape. Cause both of us were under a lot of pressure to you know, get on a grad scheme, you're smart, go, go to London, be a banker, be a lawyer. And I just thought, oh no, that's not for me. Um, but it didn't work out probably because I didn't know how to build a website. <laughs> Although I did teach, teach myself later with Ben and Blend. Um, yeah, and I run the business with, with, with Mike. So we were partners, uh, were friends um, in the beginning. And then we were in a relationship and then we got married and then we got divorced um, all throughout the history of the business. And we still run the business together. And was that ever contentious or was it always keep Bird and Blend as it is? I think the thing about being in business with someone that you love, whether it's a family member, a friend, a sister, your husband, is you get to ride all those amazing highs with someone and you really know someone inside out, but you also don't get an escape from the lows. And I think over time, because Bird and Blend was basically like our baby, you know, we, we lived and breathed that business. We didn't have a social life. You know, we, we didn't do anything outside of, of Bird and Blend and it, and it was needed and it was great but we didn't have time to nurture ourselves or our relationship. And I think it came down to, we had a really frank conversation, you know, something's got to give it, what's giving. And I know it sounds a bit, it might sound a bit sad to say that we, we, we put the business first, but we were both still really passionate about that the business had legs and that we believed in what we were doing and that we, we wanted to be business partners and so it was tough, but we, we had to get through it. We didn't really have a choice, to be honest. I guess it's similar if you have children. Like we had to go to work every day. We had to work with each other every day. Mm -hmm. um, but fundamentally, 
we do still have a, a deep uh, like respect for each other uh, and what we're doing at Burn and Blend. He does annoy me though, and I annoy him. Frust- we frustrate each other a lot. Yeah. But the thing is, a, a business relationship is unbelievably intimate. If, if with or without them being your husband, it's like you, as you say, you you have to go through all those things that you go through in any other intimate relationship. Yes. Have difficult conversations, annoy each other, have different opinions. You know, push and pull about what what is the right way forward and what isn't. Yeah, and and I think as well as founders, co-founders. When you found a business or, or you're, uh, I guess, higher up in a business, you don't have peers, really, especially in the early days. You know, we didn't have a, a leadership team or, you know, we couldn't afford it. And so I didn't have anyone, you know, that was able to give me feedback or to challenge me. It was only Mike. So although that can be really frustrating and difficult, I don't get it from anyone anywhere else. So if I need a bit of a temperature check on like what I'm doing and who I am. He's the person that can give that to me. Although I did say to him the other week, I was like, can you stop telling me about myself, please? <laughs> like, I've had enough of this. <laughs> He's like, well, someone's got to. <laughs> yeah, I'm up for the feedback, yeah. but in small portions, please. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I'm also interested, actually, I know a few um, co-founder companies where as the businesses have scaled and grown, you realise that you aren't on the same page with the growth. How have you managed to stay you know in parallel with that we've always been in parallel i think that's the thing that's made it work is we've always been in parallel parallel with what we want to achieve and i guess we are commercial and you know we're pretty savvy on that side i think people see tea company and they think like family tea company but you know we've got a growing econ business and you know we we are pretty commercial well we are very commercial the the heart and soul of the business isn't about driving the numbers so the team it's all about getting the right people in the right seats and giving the right experiences and making connections and making people slide. Like our tagline is spreading happiness and reimagining tea. So in the business, it's the team and the people that, you know, we don't pressurize people too heavily on KPIs and that sort of thing. So that's meant that we've grown steadily over the years. We've made a couple of really smart commercial decisions and it's grown and it's grown organically um, and authentically. And I think Mike and I just think, you know, we've, we're not trying to build the business to hit a number. Like, that, that's, not the, that's not the aim. Um, and in fact, in any time we've ever been asked by, you know, investors or whoever we're speaking to in the business world, external to Burn and Blend, like, oh, what's your number? What's your exit plan? So, well, we, we, haven't, we haven't, that's not really what we've been doing. We've just been trying to grow a business um, and just keep proving that you can have a commercial, commercially viable business that does it a better way. I think that's the driving force. That was going to be my question about how you keep those values intact because everything about the brand is very, very joyful and happy and it exudes it. I haven't been to one of your stores, but I've I've looked at the pictures of it and I can only imagine how lovely it smells. And has it been challenging to to stick with that as, as you've got bigger? It's definitely not been challenging to like still see, breathe, believe in our like our, our ethics and our and things in our DNA for Mike and I. And I believe it's not difficult for people within the business because most people would only want to work with us if you aligned with one or two of our values because they're so important to us. So no, they've never changed and we've never been tempted to sacrifice any of those value pieces. Even when money's been tight, you know, we will not cut on the customer experience. We will not cut on our ethics and sustainability goals and we won't cut when it comes to people um, spending. 
but it has become more difficult over the last couple of years because we went into COVID with seven stores. We came out with 14. Um, you know, I'm, I, I'm doing that classic describing COVID as what that two year period. So basically in the space of two years, we went from a head, head count of 60 people with seven stores to a head count of 170 with 14 stores. So that growth spur meant that for the first time, there were people joining the business that I hadn't seen. I've never even met them before. Pre-2019, I interviewed everybody. I knew everybody by name. And I think when that happens, it's difficult, it can be difficult for the authentic message to go down as in, a, as, in as much as a personal way. Um, so we've had to think carefully and we don't always get it right, but we have to think really carefully about how to really induct new people into our world authentically when I, you know, Mike and I don't get to sit and say like, thank you so much for joining us. Thanks for coming on our journey with us. You know, you're a really valued member of the family and you're helping us grow the business. And, you know, we have to rely on the communication that goes through the channels, whether that's our managers or training or, you know, inductions and things like that. So that's tricky, yeah. but the actual ethics, no, they've never changed. So often I hear that the job you started out doing, which is making tea, in the end you end up managing people. And you know, it's a very, 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 very difficult job that people underestimate. What have been your big lessons about people management? Yeah, you're spot on. I think people are the most rewarding thing for me about running a business, building a business, but they are also some of the lowest and most difficult times I've had have been about people. And I think, I will caveat that, that I, I am a naturally a people pleaser and I, I worry and care a lot about what people think of, of me and I worry about upsetting people and things like that. So I've had to work on that and grow a really thick skin and kind of acknowledge that I can have really close relationships with people at work, but ultimately I am the boss and they will have a bad day and they will not like something I've done and said and, and try not to take it personally. But someone gave me some advice right at the start when they said, um, you know, this is exactly what you just said. Um, it's all about people and management and stuff. And I, and I thought, well, I'm a nice person. This will be fine. Um, and um, they said, you need to remember that you're not leading hands, you're leading hearts and minds. And I was like, it didn't click in for years, but it basically it's just this idea that everybody works slightly differently and everyone has different view of the world and what motivates people is totally different. So I, I think that really good people managers are the people that are, that get joy out of figuring out what makes people tick and trying to, to show up for them rather than just telling everybody what you want them to do in your own style. Um, I'm not going to say that I'm perfect at it, but I, I aspire to, to be like that. But it is hard. Yeah, I spend a lot of my time moving parts and sat at my desk these days and the early years were a lot of fun packing tea in, in my bedroom and going to market stores and festivals and having a lot of fun. Yeah, it's so often the case that you don't realise the golden era is a golden era mm-hmm. because yeah. you're so busy striving for the yeah. next bit and then you look back and you're, oh, that's actually really great, yeah, wasn't it? it? Was, yeah. that's, but that's just youthfulness, yeah. I think. Yeah, like, well, and also there's that element of hustle. We were hustling back then. And in some ways I enjoy it less now we, we don't have to hustle as hard, you know, now the money is there and the and the structures are there. I think there's something that some people, well, founders probably, but lots of people get out of that, you know, that hustle. Yeah, it's fascinating. I've worked in a few ad agencies in their startup phase and it's it, there's nothing like it when you're all behind something yeah. that's growing. And then it's so imperceptible when you move 
from startup to an established business and what that does. I think Esther Burrell talks about it in relationships, but as humans, we're torn between wanting security and excitement. And that is often the unpicking of relationships. But I think it's the same in business. You want it, you want it, you want it. Oh no, but I want it to be safe. Oh, it's safe. I want it to be <laughs> yeah, exciting exactly. again. Yeah. And it's exactly. really difficult. So talk to me about those early days and like the day in the life of, of that time. So in the very early days, it was, um, we, we started off going to literally any market or food festival or, or music festival, anywhere they would let us put a tablecloth on a table and sell some tea, we went to. So we did like <laughs> everything from like WI, like town halls in tiny villages to, um, you know, really big festivals like Secret Garden Party. Um, we did the Brixton Food Festival, um, food market and things like that. And we would... So, and I didn't know at the time, but we were gather, literally gathering market research. So Mike and I were there all day in the freezing cold, serving tea, selling tea, asking, do you like this? Do you not like that? Will, will you tell a friend about us? Will you join our mailing list? You know, and we built up this loyal fan base. Um, and then we would go home, pack tea. So all of the tea was packed. Literally, my mum my said, you can have six months rent free and then you've got to get a proper job. So <laughs> I was like packing tea in a back bedroom and we built, I built a, a an online site, really basic. Um, and we sold tea online, but we'd have like four orders a month. And I used to make this like ka-ching noise on, on my phone. And, I, and we'd be like, oh my gosh, we've got an order, we've got an order. And we used to take it down to the post office and buy stamps and yeah. So we did that for the first couple of years and, and, and gained a, a small following um, and then really wanted to open our first store, which is why we came to Brighton. So moved to Brighton, up, 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 yeah, upheaved our life, moved to the South Coast um, and opened the first retail space, which is in Brighton's North Lane, which is just, I don't know if you've been, but it's so vibrant and there's lots of indie businesses. It's colorful and yeah, it was great. It just felt like the right community to, to open our first store in. It's so funny. What year did you do that? 2014. Cause it's interesting. I feel like we've been on this journey where everything's, you know, moving towards online, obviously, but we're kind of beginning to go back to full circle and like destination um, retail. Yeah. And you were already there yeah. and it actually has worked well for you. What difference has it made having a physical, well, many physical spaces now? Well, I mean, over the last couple of years, it's been a godsend. Um, absolutely. And it's interesting seeing brands go from their, you know, like some of the fashion brands and things going from their goal being to sell into a department store or whatever to now wanting to have their own flagship brand experience store, you know. And I think that at the beginning, I just constant used to get constant feedback from from people that were way more experienced than me. Way you know, we like don't start a retail business, sell into grocery, don't don't open on the high street. You're mad. The high street is dying. And I was just like, do you know what? I don't believe that the concept of humans wanting to hang out in spaces is going anywhere. Like maybe the traditional high street might be going, but I don't believe that for a second. I'm not. I was just like, I'm not having it. <laughs> so we forged ahead and. Um, our, our goal isn't to be on every high street. Our goal is to be on high streets where, or in areas where people want to hang out and they come down to Brighton for their holiday or their week, when, you know, people come down from London and they grab a burn and blend tea, they walk along the sea and they, you know, they associate our brand with a nice moment. And we look for places like that to, to open. And like you said, they, they come and experience the brand. They get free samples and demos and chat to the team. And then a lot of our customers then will become online customers. So it feeds the online machine as well. Um, and it means that 
you get that really good blend. And, and over COVID, we were we were super grateful to to have online because lots of brand, lots of our favorite brands only had physical stores and they suffered. And then more recently, as as um, the competitions, you know, massively increasing online, and you have to stay really ahead of of, of the new tech and stuff. Um, we found that the stores are you know the stores are back to well better than ever pre pre COVID levels all doing really really well. And I think it's because people have missed that so much and they're not necessarily shopping with us in store all the time, um, but they the stores do something, they offer something. And I think that makes sense because your connection to a brand is stronger if you physically see and interact with people or the product, like that's proven. Mm. So again, that we didn't know all of that. Like it sounds very professional now, it's kind of just, evolved along the years um, that that's actually been a really good model for us. So we're going to continue opening new stores. We've got four to open this year. And um, yeah, so that's the plan. We're going to open four and recite two, I think. Wow. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> so we've touched on the kind of successes. What are the big mistakes that have happened along the way? Yeah, great question. Um, I think we made some mistakes in the early days of, around people, hired the wrong people, didn't didn't fire them quickly with good intention of being, you know, friendly and open and fostering this wonderful environment where everyone's happy. And I think we had to learn a tough lesson that, you know, having a happy environment doesn't always mean you just kind of have to be friends with everybody and make loads of allowances. And so we had to learn that lesson. And I think... We also went through a period of time of, of, of bringing people in that were way more experienced from really bigger industries because we thought, well, they'll help us drive it forwards. Um, but don't always get it. I think it's quite difficult to go from a, a big corporate into a, a startup. Um, it's difficult for everyone, I think. We've had cash flow problems a couple of times as well. Not not recently, but we had, um, we had a bit of an issue in 2016 with that. Learned a lesson, never did it again. Um, what else have we had? We had to, we had to rebrand. That was um that wow. was a nightmare. Why? Um, so we crowdfunded in 2016 to fund opening four new stores in London. And when we opened in London, there was another brand that had the same name as us. We used to be called Bluebird. And although we did have the trademark, we didn't have we had it in the tea category. Um, they had the trademark in a different category and they were food service and they did serve tea. So even though we made a, a case for, we're a, we're a retail shop really, and no one's gonna confuse us, they were a much bigger company and I, I kind of had to swallow the David and Goliath stubbornness in me and, and think, well, am I gonna spend six months and loads of money fighting this or am I gonna accept it and, and move forwards with a new name? So, I, which is cool, because I got to rebrand a business, which I wouldn't have got to do if I, so it was a great experience for, for, for me as well. Uh, were there any moments amongst that where it felt like catastrophic to the point of not being able to move forward with it or is it just a hurdle that you had to? Yeah, it definitely felt, I think I was grieving the original name and it meant so much. It was, you know, it worked so hard on um, like our domain authority and on all of our social media and just felt so attached to the, to the name and, it's something that we'd come up with together. It wasn't a marketing thing or anything. And I, I think I had to get over that and let it go. And it was more it, it was more kind of catastrophic for me, I guess, personally, than the business. Um, it was difficult though, it put us back about a year, I think, um, having to change the URL and 
waste a lot of packaging and, and things like that. But we survived and um, yeah, that was that was a while ago now. It's 2017 we did that. So we, yeah. And actually it's funny cause I, I was having sleepless nights about our customers thinking that we'd sold or that we'd, you know, gone under or something. And um, I was, it was like planned pages and pages and pages of like marketing comms and we, we changed all the windows over and put a message and, you know, we did loads and loads of press and stuff. And and afterwards we like surveyed our customers and we were like, you know, tell us about this. And um, they were like, well, are you still the same people? And we were like, yeah. And you still sell the same team? We're like, yeah. And like, we don't really care what you're called. <laughs> I was like, well, I've oh. <laughs> lost so many sleepless nights about it, but. Yeah, so there's such a kind of truth in that, isn't it? Mm. The things that, that that bother you, and then when you, especially now, you, you can reflect. But these moments in life that feel insurmountable, but become just part of the yeah. story. Mm-hmm. It's absolutely fascinating. On a similar tack, what what do you think the biggest sacrifice has been of of founding this business? I guess time. Time's the big one. It's time and the time away from your family and friends and, and, you know, holidays and your social life and your fitness regime and all of that, I think over time, it it can take its toll. Um, I've been able to make more time for myself over the last couple of years, but it got to breaking point. I got to break point before I had to make that happen. It can be difficult because, you know, I've missed a lot of of things that have gone on in people's lives because of Bird and Blend. and it can be really lonely and isolated. I mean, my friends and family are super supportive. I'm really understanding. Um, but it's a lot to juggle. And I think sometimes it can be isolating because there aren't many other people that know what it feels like to be constantly in, obsessed, I guess, with this thing in your life that you can't put down and you can't walk away from. You know, and I don't like to feel trapped. And I'm, I'm very open to change and I, I usually in my life I'm like right if I don't like something I'll just change it and I'm, I'm brave about it and I just jump feet first in and go well, I'll, I'll sort that out later probably could be a strength or a weakness um but with Burn and Blend I don't have that option I can't leave I, I can't walk away and when it's difficult that does feel a bit um can feel challenging but headspace to be in mm. um but it doesn't happen very often but it can be difficult I mean, that's probably me going into like therapist mode. When you, when your brain does that to you, it means that you just you you just max out. Isn't yeah, it? exactly. When you know, pass the line. I, yeah, I need to change everything. Like yeah. probably what you just need is a bit of a break. Yeah, exactly. All, You're so right. But it's so it's amazing how much the the yeah. If you haven't been listening to kind of the heading towards burnout messages, your your brain's like, I've tried to tell you, and now I'm going to send you somewhere yeah. extreme, and then. Yeah. And then uh, maybe, maybe you'll listen. Has there ever been a point where you're like, oh, maybe I just should have gone down the corporate nine to five? No, never. Um, sometimes I look at what what the current salaries are in those sorts of things and think, blimey neck, I'm in the wrong job here. Um, but no, I don't think so. It's not It's not for me. And, and I, on the whole, feel super fulfilled with, with Burn and Blend and the things that I do and... And the people that I work with. And yeah, it's, it, it, you've got to just keep remembering. Well, as you said, you were unretainable yeah. in your jobs. And there's, there's, there's a reason for that. Because yeah. you were off to go and do something bigger and better. We've talked about your management style. Can you give me a bit more on that? What do you think it is? Do you think you have one? Um, yeah, I, I think I foster quite close relationships with my immediate team. 
and I like to work with people and I love to see people develop. Um, and once I really trust and respect someone and see where they're coming from and understand what they're about, I'm super happy to kind of give them what they need and let them just fly. And, you know, and that's really rewarding. And they're some of my favorite people to work with. I'd like to think I was fair and firm. I think my biggest um, development point at the moment that I'm working on is um, being able to have, you know, tough conversations straight down the line. You know, I'm guilty, like lots of us are, of being nervous about how it's gonna land, overthinking it, especially when you care about the people that, that are working with you. And so saying too many words, fluffing it a bit, trying to, you know, trying to manage how it's gonna land. And, and I think, you know, that can come across as dishonest or, you know, make people feel uncomfortable. And so that's something I'm working on. Um, yeah, I can, I can be a bit brutal sometimes if I don't um, agree with something. Not intentionally, but I can sometimes be a bit like, no, I don't think that's a good idea. <laughs> but you know what, it's, I'm wondering whether the narrative you're putting around it is brutal. In actual fact that I always think, you know, it, it's classically women, we try and dress things up and aren't, try and do manage things nicely and in fact confuse things. Whereas I watch it with guys all the time. They're much more straightforward yeah. with their interaction. They're not being brutal, they're being honest. Yeah. I, I'm not, you know, they're not adding any personal vendetta onto that. And it, it's just learning to, to communicate like that, but it doesn't, it's not what we've been taught. No, I think you're completely right. And I obviously have that unique position with, and I can't get myself too much into this headspace because it takes me down. But because of Mike and I being in business with a male co-founder, I do witness firsthand the difference of how people respond to him and the, the ease in which he gets to walk around uh, his life and the business without worrying about how he says things, not being pulled up on that and all the effort and energy that I put into trying to get that right. And it, again, I can't get too far down that because it becomes a bit of a, mm -hmm. a, you know, a, a resentful hole to get into. You know, oh, it's not fair, you know, but it is difficult. And, and I think you're right. You know, I can be guilty of using the wrong language as well. And um, people use different language to describe the same behavior in men, men and women, positively and negatively. And it is really frustrating. And I think the thing for me that gets me is that I often get um, descriptive words in a, like a professional meeting about commercials. I get emotionally descriptive words. So like I'll say something, they'll go, are you upset? And I'm like, no, I'm not upset. And like, you know, and, and even if I was, that's not really relevant. You know, it's nothing to do with being upset. It's nothing to do with being emotional. It's nothing to do with being, you know, all these feeling words. You know, we're having a, you know, a straight up fair, respectful conversation and people put on to you. Oh, but it's because you're feeling something or other. And I find that really frustrating. But then you can't get yourself out of it because you're like, if you say, no, I'm not upset, then you just, you can make it worse on you. It's something that I've really tried to wrangle. How do, how do you bring the femaleness into into like working with people and management and business? Because yeah, I feel a lot of stuff all yeah. the time, and mm -hmm. and I think you know often that's a superpower. That's your intuition, and that's your big. You know, you're talking about male female founders. Maybe you can walk into a room and, and sense the, the different energies in people in a different way because you're tuned in, and. Yeah, we're often taught that you shouldn't bring emotion into the workplace, but maybe it's really useful. I don't know. It's really hard. There isn't much role modelling of that, is there? No, there isn't. And I think 
I think for me it's more like you should be you should feel safe enough to bring your whole self to work and I, th I really actually like the fact that over especially the last couple of years there's been a step forward a little bit I think into acknowledging that people are have got they're whole humans with with all sorts of things going on in their lives uh, you know things they're good at things they're not good at um that it's okay to be having an off day and, and have things going on and struggle with stuff um so I think that's really positive I think it can be challenging if people uh, presume that talking about how you're feeling or or maybe the things you struggle with um, if you're expecting that everyone around you in a working environment is going to fundamentally be able to change things immediately for your benefit because we've all got to get along together and people can't change immediately they might want to but it takes time to uh, adapt your yourself and to really self-reflect and so when someone shared something with me, I tried to like log it and work on it if I can over time, but you can't really, it's, it's, it's unrealistic expectations, I think, to expect people to work on those things immediately in the moment, because it's, we're all human and it's, yeah, yeah. it's not possible. I wonder whether employees are a bit like relationships as well. Sometimes I know that my real growth in terms of work has often been when I've left and I've gone to somewhere, somewhere else because you get to go in with everything. You, yes. It's very hard start, yeah. to go up a ladder within one yeah. place. We talked about role models, but I'm wondering, have you had any mentors along the way or any any people that have guided you in, in this journey? Well, we've, we've definitely had as a business, as Mike and I as a partnership, we've had various um, people along the way that have been really kind with their time. Um, who we've just met at, you know, events or conferences or whatever, wherever we've been. We've had a lot of curiosity about the brand over the years. Um, so there's a, there's a handful of people that um, are now investors because they came on board during the crowdfund and we can pick up the phone if we're stuck on something. Me personally, not really. I, I think it's difficult because... Um, sometimes I feel like, especially with, with women, it can be really forced... Like, oh, you're a female founder. We need to find you a female mentor that gets the female things. And I just sometimes find that a bit, you know, a bit forced. And <laughs> yeah, it's interesting. But there are definitely some inspirational people out there that I've, I've seen do business. Now, I saw the, the lady from um, Cambridge Satchel Company talk right in the early days at a, an event. And she was absolutely inspirational. She was fantastic. And I listened to our podcast as well and, you know, and try and top up that and TED Talks and things, top mm -hmm. up that sort of inspiration, read a lot of, of books and things to to try and, you know, be inspired and and develop. Yeah, it's, it's really, it, with people are like, oh, find a mentor, how? Like, <laughs> how do you find a mentor? It's really embarrassing, will you be my mentor? <laughs> but I, I actually went and um, spoke at a sixth form last year, which was one of the most terrifying experiences. Wow, they're the least receptive crowd you should ever, <laughs> talking at a careers fair. And my best piece of advice, well, there's loads of pieces of advice. One, learn an actual skill, but two, like when someone says, Can, let's go meet for a coffee and have a chat. I'm not very good at, at taking them up on that. And I think it's so important, isn't it's, it? Yeah. You could just meet someone in your career for a little bit who just yeah. moves you up a little yeah. and gives you a tiny bit of advice. Spot on. And also I'm now saying to myself as I get further along to begin to try and offer that out to other people mm. as well. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. We had, you know, I have this, you know, you say yes to as many things as possible in the early days. And, and again, I had, I had um, advice and I probably say yes to do much now as well. But for that reason, you never know when that's going to come back around. You never know who you're going to meet. You know, at various things I go to, I meet an interesting person every single time and you learn something new and they're a connection that can help you in the future. 
So, yeah, I'm, I agree wholeheartedly. Yeah, it's so weird. Steve Jobs says you never know when the dots are going to join, and it's so true. It's like that random thing, oh, I really can't be bothered with this. Yeah. And it only needs to be a tiny interaction that ends up at some point coming good. A couple of things as we wind towards the end. What is is kind of the big goal you want to achieve this year? Um, so the business, we are going through we've got some growth plans with the new store openings we've got a couple of senior hires to make which is exciting so building our leadership team out which will be a challenge for me i think just kind of adjusting to having more hands and more brains and more hearts and then probably the thing that i'm most excited about this year at work is that we're doing a bit of a people transformation project so we're reassessing like our operate people operations and experience so basically looking at the um, our employees life cycle end to end at every put, touch point and and making it magical and fit for purpose so I'm, I'm really excited about that project i read the book what's it called the power of moments i don't know if you've read it but it's about brands and businesses and people that register the power of a moment so celebrating your i don't know six month work anniversary or you know those little moments that are the special so i'm really excited about doing that it's something i've wanted to do for years personally um i'm renovating my flat <laughs> which I'm not very good at people presume because of bed and blend that I'm I don't know trendy stylish I'm not at all <laughs> I don't know what clothes to wear I don't know what colors look good on a wall I'm literally useless I can create tea blends um, and sign off packaging design and you know spot a wonky POS display a mile away but can I choose wallpaper <laughs> but I'm, I'm adamant I'm gonna do it see it through and hopefully I'll have a nice space to be in by the end of the year. I'm looking at you because I'm on the back of an, uh, I've been doing a monster renovation and I'm a year, like five years in, a year wow. into the build. Well, a year into the actual, you know, dusting. <laughs> My only advice I can give you is, is try not to be swayed by trends on yeah. you know Pinterest and Instagram. If you like it, you like it. Mm. And, and because it's, over and over again, I'm like, oh, have you done something really boring? It's, I like it. Yeah, absolutely. And it's your space. Yeah. And it's, got, it's your home. And, you know, that's that's the most important thing, isn't it? I think we've all valued, we've all learned the value of our home life, our space, our, you know, the spaces we live in, but also our time over the last couple of years. And we've got to have a, a great a space to be in, haven't we? Yeah. It's good for your soul, I think. And someone said to me, just work up what you want it to feel like so my mm. thing has always been i want it to feel calm if um, which is laughable i've got three kids but <laughs> and a high energy husband but um so when whatever decision i made i was like does it does it move towards making it feel calm so if yours is yeah whatever word it is i think that is a really good parameter to always yeah, come back great. to i think mine's joyful there you go i want it to make me make me smile so you would actually hate what I've done. My, my whole house is beige and minimal because it, but I, because I, that is what I'm about. I've got friends who've gone for full all out colour, but it's, yeah, joyful is a really good one. Um, next question. If you could have started another brand or another business, what would it be? Who do, oh, who do you envy? Question. I feel like I wouldn't deviate too far from where I am in terms of, I just love those brands that have got I love brands that kind of look at something in a slightly different way. You know, like Oatly is a good example. Like they didn't set out to make the the best oat milk. They set out to change category, to like compete against dairy milk, to, to prove that 
they could be just as good and, and like literally change, have a massive impact on the environment. Like that's really cool. Like, you know, the, the brands that go out there and fundamentally change the way we do something, you know, like Uber or well, social media and things like that. Um, I'm not saying I could do that, but those sort of things are what, what make me, make my, my, me sort of my, my brain light up and like, oh, that's so, that's so interesting. The way that it then impacts human behavior mm -hmm. and the way that we live and the way that we interact. Um, so working in, in, in a, for, or in a brand like that would be, would be awesome. But I say, I use the word brand. I think I'm a brand person that mm -hmm. I, I like creativity. I like building stuff. I like tangible things that, you know, impact people. Um, or maybe I'd be a ski, I am actually a ski instructor, so I, I would probably have had a life doing that. <laughs> That's really funny. I've just gone down a rabbit hole of watching um, ski documentaries on Netflix in, yes. the, in the last week. Yes. Which I don't know why I do it, because I can't afford to go skiing <laughs> anytime soon because of the renovation, but in a different life. But I think those disruptor brands, I think you have, you are playing in the disruptor category. And it's really interesting, the bit that you're talking about that feels joyful about putting that back into your employees and how you're going to do it that is how you move towards that those things because you're, you're trying to scale whilst staying very personal and yeah. human which yeah. is disruptive in and of yeah. itself thanks two last questions where can people find you give a big shout out to the brand so people can come and search you out yeah so uh, on the on the internet <laughs> <laughs> i told you i wasn't trendy on the internet um at birdandblendtea.com um and we ship all over the world and we also have a tea subscription service, which I can recommend. I curate a box every month and you get to try loads of fun things. I think the next one's uh, chocolate themed, I think, or biscuit themed maybe. Um, and then we have 14 stores across the UK. So there is a store finder on the website, but yeah, London, Brighton, Bristol, Oxford, Norwich, Glasgow, Cardiff. Yeah, you can you can check them out, yeah. And so come, cool. come and have an experience in store and meet the team. and. Yeah, get a demo and try lots of free samples. And yeah, it's a really joyful experience and the tea tastes good too. Yeah, so. it sounds really fun. Um, and my last whopper of a question, of if you could have an honest conversation with one person, who would it be and what would you say? Interesting. So an honest conversation with anybody. Do you know what? I think it would be something really boring. Like what I was saying earlier, you know, when you um, I worry about what, I want to really want to know what people think. I think I'd ask someone like that I really, really trust and respected to like tell me honestly, like, come on, give it, let, let's have it warts and all. You know, that would be, I'd find that really interesting, I think. Or maybe someone really great in history that has done something really courageous and is really, you know, remembered for, that's a really good question, on the spot. I often fantasize about that <laughs> thing about someone telling you exactly yeah, what you're dangerous like. dangerous though, right? Yeah, and, <laughs> but what if they just told you something that you literally just, couldn't fathom you know <laughs> oh it turns out you are really whatever you're like what <laughs> what i've gone around life for all I of this had no time. idea yeah, yeah. <laughs> why has no one told me sooner but yeah i mean ultimately i think it would end in tears wouldn't it probably because also it's always down to someone else's perception anyway mm -hmm. absolutely but i i agree i often <laughs> think about that um, thank you so much for, such, for having a, me. such a fantastic chat and yeah I'm definitely going to get my hands on some I'm going to send you some tea yes <laughs> That's what chocolate digestives yes. thank you very much you're welcome for having me 
And that's another episode wrapped. Thank you so much for listening to Meet the Founder, part of But Why podcast. It's so easy to forget the humans behind the products that fill our shelves and phones. But I love being reminded that every brand began with a person having a great idea. These chats are about more than me being nosy, although that is a big part of it. It's about remembering the reality that success isn't linear and that being a founder doesn't take one shape. Thank you so much to my guests and thank you for listening. And just one more ask, if you could please leave us a review or shout about it on social media, it makes a huge difference to the number of listens we get. And last but not least, if you do want to get in touch, and I always love hearing from you, you can email me on butwhy at clemmytelford.com or find us at butwhypodcast on Instagram. Wishing you a very excellent day and catch you next time.